This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. So, you want to talk politics like nobody else, like nobody else's business, like nobody else's audience, like nobody else. You want to talk politics? We shall. But I want to talk about the Olympics, which, now that I think about it, has become the same thing. Excelsior! I love you, best and brightest. Welcome to the show. The show is you, the best and brightest, and me, your partner, Jay Severin, on the Blaze Radio Network. And if ever you are gone, I shall miss you tremendously. But let us not dwell on things like that. Let us instead focus on the telephone number via which we have spirited discussion, which ideally uh, delivers us to an argument, not a fight. We can fight if you want, but I'd much rather argue. one 888 When I become dictator, I don't know, I, why limit myself, I, of the world, not just of America, But when I become dictator, and as an indicator of how munificent a dictator uh, I will be, and how revered a dictator I shall be, is that probably my first dictatorial law will be everybody who shows promise of getting from it something Everyone who has demonstrated by age of, you know what, the age doesn't matter. I was a, a faculty member, housemaster at Milton Academy in uh, Milton, Massachusetts. And I won't go into it. You either recognize it or you don't. And almost nobody does except people who know uh, the finest preparatory schools uh, in America, at which, some of which rank among the finest preparatory schools in the world. And the charter, I once wrote for a journalism school, in graduate school, I once wrote a, uh, it was one of the sort of boxes you had to check. You had to write an obituary or several of them. You had to write a biography. You had to write s- several things, right, to, to understand what the form, the format the formatics of each was, which was extremely helpful. 
And I had the best writing professor, uh, Gerald Powers, in the world. Uh, and uh, he, when I had to do a, uh, what was it called? I think an organizational history. And this was so if anyone ended up in public relations, you know, ended up with a corporation, you, you had to know how to do, you had to know how to know and sell your corporation. And that started with being able to tell its story. So I did the, uh, my assignment, I, I decided I would do the organizational history or the corporate history, although it wasn't called that, it was called something else, of Milton Academy. And the thing of which I'm most boastful uh, uh, in uh, behalf of Milton is that the charter of Milton opens with the following sentence, and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, it's been a very long time. I'm going to get a couple of words wrong, but the sentiment is uh, razor sharp, accurate. That is... Uh, the Milton Academy has been founded to train young men in the arts and sciences as known until the age of 14 or until such time as they are prepared to enter Harvard. <laughs> End quote. Elite North East New England boarding school, you betcha. And out of elitism comes merit. Out of merit comes elitism. I don't know how I got here, but I I, uh, I really don't. But uh, let's go back. Let's backtrack for a second. Uh, yeah, you want to talk politics today? Let's talk politics. Let's also talk Olympics because they've become that too. But I'm really, if you could see here, I'm, I'm paddling like a duck. I'm trying to rediscover why I brought up uh, Milton Academy. And I, I can't for the life of me. But I've, I've enjoyed it so far. Uh, I hope you have too. Uh, it'll come to me eventually. In any case, one of the reasons that I'm reluctant for the first time ever to discuss politics is that it's... It's not a good night, honey. Honey, I I have a headache. It's it's not a good time, honey. Honey, honeys, it's not a good time. Right now, if if you don't want Hillary as president, it's not a good time. Right now. I don't mean it's going to be a horrific time, although that is certainly plausible. Uh, what I mean is the last week has been, not calendar week, but the, the you know, last several days have been a nightmare. What? Who did that? Uh, for the Trump campaign. And so... Reliving it is is painful uh, to my uh, to my uh, sacroiliac and my psyche, and I don't particularly want to do it on a Friday. But you know, I always want to do it. 
So, honey, it's always a good night. But you know what I mean. Okay. Okay. We'll wait a minute before. And look, this is up to you. See, this is, you can tell, I'm of several minds. Just call me Sybil. In the morning, baby. one 3393 Just call me Sybil. You can call me Ray. You can call me Jay. Just don't, don't call me late for lunch. Now, we can change this whenever you want at one 3393 But until then, you are my captive to the extent that you are too damned lazy to turn the dial. Uh, figuratively speaking, we don't have dials anymore. But let's start with, with had... Wicked had politics, okay? You want to know what troubles me at this moment more than anything else? And I bet there are many of us in this audience who know the answer. And on the street with most Americans, our fellow citizens, they'd have no bleeping idea. But you do. And so since I can't survey everyone at once... I have to ruin the suspense and tell you. The thing, the single thing that singly troubles me the most at this moment is, oh, look what time it's become. I have to take our first break. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is the Jay Severin Show. Partners, it is the Jay Severin Show, but it's our show. You are my partners. We are the Blaze Radio Network. one 3393 And darn tootin', I am going to get some Friday into this Friday edition, even if it's under the guise of the Olympics, which convene this evening, but which have become heavily political. Now, that's a blessing to those of us who enjoy conversation, to those of us who are born conversationalists, polemicists, opinionists, zealots of any kind, thinking people. So it's a blessing in a way. But you know what? Overall, it's not a blessing that the Olympics are now political. In fact, it sucks. It not only sucks, it sucks moose. It not only sucks moose, it sucks dead, Moose. And that sucks. All right, back for a moment to our conventional uh, politics and to our phones with our partners. I have two things to say before the phones. One, the thing that troubles me more than any other factor at this moment, of all of the things, of all my 
experience in politics of everything, everything I see, everything we talk about, everything, everything, everything. Jay, what's the one single factor you would name if you could name but one? But one? Hmm. But one? I'd say Hillary, but six. Okay. Now, what's the single factor that troubles you the most? I'll tell you what it is. It's Obama's approval rating. Because in a, a, a pool of voters, of which 70%, a startling record number of voters, 70%, believe that we're off the rails, we're on the wrong track. If you gave me that as a blind fact, and I didn't know the office or the candidates' names. You just gave me a single blind fact. The voter pool, 70%, says wrong track. I would say, I'll tell you who's going to win. And it would be Trump. But the one most mitigating fact or mitigating factor that I've heard in this campaign is Obama's approval ratings. You tell me, if 70% of us, and now us, I mean very, very broadly, like, now, if 70% of us say wrong track for our culture and our country, how, how does Obama enjoy a circa 55% Fairly solid, fairly consistent, 55% approval rating. It means that we are, in general, on balance, broadly speaking, morons, imbeciles. We have become a nation of majority, a majority imbecile nation. Because if you don't blame the sitting president of eight years for something seven of ten of us say we abhor. We hate where we are. We hate where we're going. We hate where we have recently been. But Obama has a 55% approval rating. That phenomenon, whatever you want to call it, you could call it imbecile America if we want to have a bus tour, uh, that troubles me more than any other single factor. And it troubles me greatly. Know what else? And this is, I, I regard this as definitive as the point uh, made just above. And that is this. The folks on Trump's side, be they who they may, the, the folks on Trump's side, and I mean the people who are smart, d- discriminating, and influential. I mean those voices with access to the public podium, so to speak, who are clearly on Trump's side, are now collectively, individually and collectively, and very suddenly starting to sound very much like Romney supporters 
in the last two weeks, the final two weeks of the Romney campaign. Incredulous? That is, I can't, nope, I can't believe it. I don't care. I don't care what the polls say. I, I don't care what the media says. I don't, I don't care about any of this. Uh, I'm, I just, I'm incredulous. I don't believe credible under all the circumstances present that Mitt Romney is not going to beat Barack Obama. Incredulous. And then very quickly become angry. I can't believe I breathe the same air as the stupid sons of bitches that are going to reelect Obama. You go from incredulous to angry. And then finally, in the last <clears throat> 10 days, uh, again, among the smartest people in the last 10 days, there hovers and rests an oppressive air of resignation. You, you, we're resigned to our fate. You, you go through the three phases. I, I, it's impossible. I can't believe, knowing what we know of Obama, knowing what we know of Mitt Romney, I cannot be. I don't care about the polls. I cannot believe that Mitt Romney would be elected by a majority of my fellow citizens. I'm sorry. I can't believe Obama would be elected by a majority of my fellow citizens over a man like Mitt Romney, which within days becomes, I can't believe these stupid bastards who are my fellow citizens who would vote for Obama instead of Mitt Romney, which then turns within days and even hours to, I can't believe we're going to lose to Barack Obama. I, I can't be, I, I mean, I, we're going to lose to Barack Obama. I don't know how this happened. How could this possibly happen? And and what I'm saying in making this point is two things in the last 24 hours that troubled me. They didn't occur in the last 24 hours. They just sort of started to culminate and gain critical mass and make an impression on me in the last 24 hours. It, it didn't occur to me for the first time. It's just that it you know it's part of a process, right? It is for you, it is for me, it is for all of us who are best and brightest. You start to hear something, you know, and you slough it off. Or you start to hear something and you say, hey, that's great. You know, more Hillary emails. You go, great, great. And then nothing comes of it. And then you go from more Hillary emails, great, great, to more Hillary emails. Well, gee, I I hope it matters. I don't, I don't know if anything will come of it. To more Hillary emails. <sighs> who cares I care you care but nobody else cares stupid bastards okay so I'm only saying that Obama's approval ratings under current circumstances under momentary circumstances Obama's approval ratings plus that the folks that are generally the best and brightest on Trump's side and view the world more like Trump does than Obama does. Okay, I'm not talking about yokels, right? I'm not talking about nuts here. I'm talking about knowledgeable people 
who, yeah, they're biased. They're biased in in favor of Trump, but they don't necessarily love Donald Trump per se, but they're going to vote for him. But the folks on Trump's side who are smart and influential, is this is this just me? Or, or you, are you hearing this too? Are starting to sound very much like Romney supporters, like me, in the last, in the final two weeks of the Romney campaign. Incredulous, ripens into, you know, angry, uh, rots into resignation. Yes? Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, Georgia Jock, very kindly, uh, is helping me try to uh, regain my faculties by explaining to me how it is I arrived at Milton Academy from the Olympics. And, uh, Jaw, thank you. I I think what you say does work. I'm just not sure it explains where I was going. And no fault of yours. I mean, come on. You, 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 no one can be expected to do this without neurosurgery, uh, for which I'd rather be awake. Uh, call. No one will wait today. one 888 I'm going to run through the political headlines and analyses because I must, because I love it, because you love it, and because a lot has happened since yesterday. And so that takes precedent. But then I'm I'm doing it to do it because I love it, but I'm not going to uh, rhapsodize here. I'm not going to wax especially verbose or poetic on these things because I want to talk about the Olympics. Now, I know more of us will want more of us key to this. Not a lot of us necessarily, but more of us will have something to think and say about the Olympics a week from today or even on Monday, than we have today. But if you're not with us in the second hour, I'm going to preview this much now before I get to the Olympics. And the preview is this. Guru Jay Say. I predict this will be the most nakedly politically correct. This will be the most nakedly, uh, affirmatively, assertively, aggressively, left-wing propaganda. And again, not necessarily outright, but I just believe, by my bones, I just believe that a, a presentation as big as the Olympics taking place in a communistic state in a communistic era is going to take on the trappings in its presentation, in its uh, commentary, in its production, uh, 
in its coverage, in everything about these Olympic Games, will range somewhere between the very subtly PC to the I'm going to vomit on the dog PC and somewhere in between. And you know what? I don't know anything. I don't have any inside source yet uh, on this. But I have been listening to the BBC, which has been, as you might imagine, spending a lot more time covering this and trying to fill airtime with speculative uh, content as to, well, what, what can we expect from the Olympics? And just remember this as, as a prelude to everything else. There are the problems going into these Olympics are far more profound and visible because of the nature of media and social media and everything else that goes along with it. The nature of the problems, the fact that I was joking two years ago when I said, okay, Rio won. That's great. They're going to be body parts. You know, the guy's going to, in the water, is going to have to bat out of the way eyeballs and skulls and hands cut off by criminals in order to be in that water. And turds, you know, and other things. Today, on, it wasn't NBC, because I have a feeling NBC, who has, who's covering it, will be, shall I say, least critical of all people covering it. But I heard today in national media that for the first time, in addition to human waste, chemicals, and unspeakable other elements that dominate the water all around the Olympics and in and under which, in, on, and under which, 1,400 Olympians will immerse themselves in human feces, for the first time today was officially reported that human body parts, in addition to dead dogs, dead cats, dead cows, now dead humans and their parts, are rotting and washing up in the water. Sorry, uh, I maybe with some forethought could have put that in a more delicate way, but there it is. And I just... So they have that to cover up for. And everyone will want to cover up for it. So I think we're going to... One of the beauties of of the Olympics to me has always been, and mind you, this is while we're not doing the... I'm not doing the Olympics yet. This is just the foreword. This is just the preface. Okay? But the beauty of the Olympics, the most beautiful thing when I got to be old enough to understand it, was that though the ancient Olympics started with a principle that, among others, foremost included, that when there was warfare, and the Greeks originated the Olympics, and they were always at war, believe it or not. You know, now the the Greeks can't feed themselves. but, uh, But then... They were like a, you know, they were the big butter and cheese men from Perth Amboy. They were a big deal then. Okay, so the Greeks were always at war, but no matter who, who was at war with whom, as probably you've heard, and as has been told many times, probably the impetus, the origin 
of the British and German soldiers in World War I laying down their weapons and crossing empty-handed with hands up to build fires and roast their sea rations and exchange crude presents on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, even at places like the Battle of the Somme, 100 years ago, almost exactly to this moment, in which both sides, but especially the Allies, were absolutely butchered by the German forces, owing to the arrogance and stupidity, uh, really the ignorance of the British officers who sent wave after wave of British soldiers standing one foot. They sent lines of three, 5,000 men a foot away from each other in a horizontal line, walking with fixed bayonets, standing up toward the German lines, which they had believed they had largely neutralized with pre-battle uh, day bombing and artillery, which, because of bad weather they and the general uh, lack of technology at the time, they could not ascertain had failed. So the German lines which had been buttressed by the survival of everybody because the the Germans, the devilish fellows they are, my my ancestors are, that they burrowed underneath and the British didn't know from bunkers that were, you know, 20, 30 feet deep, deeper. And so their artillery and bombing simply, even had it been on the mark, did not have the, the firepower to knock the Germans out. And so the presumptions that the British made as to the nature, magnitude, and strength of the German lines when they approached them was grotesquely off. And they they marched it. You, you had individual 19-year-old British boys, fixed bayonet, little doughboy helmet, walking directly into the line of the most fearsome concentration of artillery and machine gun fire, the machine gun really just having gained prominence in the battlefield. The Germans didn't send cavalry. We still did. The Allies in the Battle of the Somme still sent guys on horses with sabers. Steady, men. There she goes. And a minute later, the guy's head was gone because we didn't know, understand, measure, aforewarn. We didn't know. Okay, this time, at least I remember where I was and where I was going. The tradition in the middle of perhaps the earliest, best recorded inhumanity to man among humans, which could be argued to be the Battle of the Somme. Maybe the the greatest carnage in what could be called contemporary history, when it was first really recorded and reported, and the story could be told. They stopped that on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. As Christians, they came up with the idea they'd stop it And they would meet in the middle, and they built little fires, and they got as drunk as they could get on whatever it is they could make, that they made, 
you know, there or had homemade wine, you know, uh, white whiskey, whatever, you, know, you know what I mean? And they, they, they got as high as they could. They got as drunk as they could together and sang songs and spoke each other's languages Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then at a certain time the next day, shots rang out and they went back to killing each other. Many people believe that the that tradition, that idea, that notion, that marvelous, lovely, humane idea derives from the early and ancient Olympics, during which time any nations or participants at war were treated to the white flag so that the Olympians could cross battle lines, battlegrounds, so they could go through enemy territory having identified themselves as Olympians. They would not be fired at. They would be given safe passage. That's how much the Olympics meant. And that's why anything that calls into question the integrity of the Olympics the, the the Olympics I grew up with huddled around the modern campfire, i.e. the television set, with my mother and father. The Winter Games, really, to be honest. But around the Olympics, anything that calls into question their integrity hurts me deeply. And I think I may be hurt deeply in addition to my enjoyment starting tonight. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And these are my partners. I'm sorry to make them wait so long. Uh, Kelly and Scott are on the line right now. Uh, I'm uh, going to go with Kelly as she called first. Scott, if you hang, you'll be on. Thank you. Kelly, welcome. Hi, Jay. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, your patience. I've been listening to you for a long time since you were on uh, 96.9. What was that, TKK from Boston? Uh, I believe I believe that's my memory is a little dim there, but yes, I believe that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Well, um, I think it was when you switched over to The Blaze and I found that you um, were, your show was on The Blaze. I listened to you one time and you, I caught um, your show and you were talking about um, uh, libertarianism and and that you you considered yourself a constitutionalist uh, libertarian, and it was in that show that really helped me understand um, my own political views and what I what I you know um, believed in. I, I guess I That's always wonderful. considered myself a Republican. I guess I considered myself a Republican up until then. Um, but you had explained it so well, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's totally me. <laughs> Well, you know what, Kelly? That's the beauty of what I get to do is that, you know, all of us have to do whatever our jobs are each day. And you guys pay me to th- to read and watch and think about this stuff, which I've been doing since I founded my fifth grade civics club. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that before. Um, so I'm glad I mentioned it now. Um, and so that's I'm very lucky. It's you know, pretty much all I think about other than my family. 
Well, um, I I bring that up because you know I'm I was never a Trump person. I I was for Cruz, and um, I'm not really impressed with what is going on now. And I definitely would never hit a uh, vote for Hillary. So I've been starting to look at Johnson and Weld, and I wanted to. I wanted to get your take on voting third party, voting libertarian, and, um, you know, if that, I guess, is viable. I mean, I, I want to vote. All right, Kelly, I've got a minute. I've got less than a minute, so let me respond to a great question, and thank you for your, I regard as very kind sentiments, and please call again soon. Here's my answer to you um, in about 40 seconds. There are two schools of thought. School number one, don't waste your vote because it is a binary choice, as always it has been. Either Clinton or Trump's going to be president. No one else is. If you want to make a protest vote, make a protest vote. But they ain't winning. And so you're kind of wasting your vote. Second school of thought. You know what? Until those of us who feel ourselves more libertarian constitutionalist take the plunge, and vote for the candidates with whom we more closely agree, they will never be in a position to win. So we're going to have to fall on the sword for a decade or two. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest. Are you paying attention? I'm Jay Severin. And don't pay attention uh, based on my geographical expertise because I just placed Caracas in Brazil. But it's okay. The point holds. Believe me. Really. Honest. I'm just working on my Donald Trump impersonation. It's the Blaze Radio Network Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest. And if you don't feel that your reputation as such, best and brightest, is threatened in any way by continuing to listen to a fellow who just placed Caracas in somewhere in Brazil, Brazil, then uh, you are most welcome. And I thank you for your uh, gracious temperance in forgiving me. One. 888-900-3393. My point is, and, I, and I'm fresh off a pre-dawn feature on BBC, uh, uh, and I was listening to them do a story on Caracas, and it's, no, no, one, no one's paying attention, no one cares, but it's as much as you can do. It's, it's a half-hour feature on BBC which has the biggest radio audience in uh, on the planet. And their point was, I'm here, the reporter, was here under undercover and also ultimately under police, you know, 
special operators, such as they are, guard uh, to report on a major city in the world, which is Mad Max. I mean, no fooling, no exaggeration. There are many cities in the world which are Mad Max. No fooling around, for real. If you know Mad Max, or you think you have a sense of Mad Max, there are a lot of places in the world like that. And a lot of them are in South America. Now, that that you will use or you won't in doing your math when you consider uh, the point people are making and I'm being generous when I say that because I'm the first person I know to make it, but that we made a few days ago, beginning of the week, uh, I think it was actually last week when we pointed out that this refugee migration thing, this is not a cosmic hiccup. This is not merely a cosmic spasmodic reaction of the body politic. This is an evolution or devolution of humankind. For the first time since, I don't know, the Middle Ages, the Ice Ages, you need to know, you need to be a lot smarter than I to know this. But I know the outlines. You know, I know the sketch. I can, I've drawn the sketch. And that is, just as a regular old citizen, I've recognized that the people who live in the southern half of the planet are, for a variety of reasons, moving to the northern half of the planet. And it didn't start a year ago. It ain't going to end a year from now. It's going to be the predominant political, economic, racial, geographic, national, international model that dominates world and local politics from where you get your water, like whether or not you turn on the tap and get what Americans have for 150 years taken for granted. You have a tap in your house, you turn it on, you get water, potable water. You you know, you go after do a, a, a booby, you could do it, you know, inside your house in a water closet in a place where it's safe and warm and uh, largely antiseptic. Half or way more than half probably of the, of the planet's population does not have these things yet wants them. Can you imagine the temerity of these people? They want drinkable water and indoor plumbing, the nerve. And they're, they're, they're coming to get it. And at least half of the politicians who represent your water closet and your warm bum on a cold Friday night someday and the ambition of people to snatch you off your throne and have it for themselves, more than half the politicians in the world support that. They go to bed at night sick with guilt that they're in a bed with a roof and that they can get up in the middle of the night and pee indoors if they want to. You know what? I'm not saying it's wrong to feel guilty about it. I'm not. I mean, I don't 
I have other things. I've got a family. I have other things to be concerned about. And you know what? That's not an excuse, and it's not a very intellectual defense. It's just a way of saying that that's human nature. Humans are going to worry about the things they're going to worry about in a priority list dictated by, you know, do you have a family? You know, do you have people to provide for? That whole thing. Okay. And that does work its way into the Olympics, by the way. And we're going to get there. And I've got a lot of political stuff I want to give you. Let me just say, for the purposes of this moment, it's been a brutal week for Trump. The question is, has it been an indicative week? Does it indicate what is to come? Has it been a significant week? Does it signify where the Trump campaign is and or is going. Because if it is indicative, if it is significant, then uh, Bob's your uncle, Hillary is president. And this has been brutal. Brutal. And uh, let me give you an example why I think it's brutal. And then I am, I really am going to get get to the phones. Um, uh Scott has been wonderful waiting. Scott's going to be on in a second. And Bob, too. And thank you, Kelly. But he, he, here, is, here is the example I'll leave you with. But again, you guys get to decide what we talk about. one 3393 So if I do my bit on the Olympics and you don't yet care, or maybe you'll never care, you'll let me know that because I'll hear a deafening silence. But I... I think we might find a mutual interest in this. But let me let me say this about politics before an attempt to stick a toe in the Olympic water. Maybe a little early, but here it is. Today, Donald Trump offered something tremendously rare, a plea of guilty. Donald Trump today admitted to being wrong. He admitted to being in error. Yesterday, Donald Trump claims when criticizing Obama for the $400, I'm sorry, the $400 million ransom that Obama paid in cash. Now, all that's a fact. In fact, in fact, Obama has admitted such in open court. So it is a fact, indisputable, inarguable fact, that Obama paid a $400 million uh, ransom to Iran. And yesterday, Donald Trump claims, in criticizing this move, he claims that, I know, I saw the video. I saw the video. Of, of the money being paid. Well, so far as anybody knows, there, there, there is no such video. In any case, Donald Trump has admitted that I didn't see that. I saw something else which I thought was that. Now, for tactical reasons, admitting you're wrong can be... Very worthwhile, especially for someone like Trump. However, however, what it indicates 
is far more troubling, though I'm not sure how many people other than we will realize any of this. And here it is. By his strategic admission of humility that, quote, I got this one wrong, end quote. Does he appreciate that the cost of admitting he's wrong in this case is admitting to still getting his most important international news from a video clip on cable television? Yeah, one can make a mistake, but if one is mistaken because one is being briefed on crucial international affairs by CNN video, that's a much bigger problem. Yes? The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. It's the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, partners. Scott from Boston. Me old Mike, welcome back. Hey, what's up, Jay? Good afternoon. What up, baby? Um, thanks. For, what's up? Thanks for having me for the Friday edition of the Civic Circus hey, Maximus. My pleasure. I didn't <laughs> and, know you spoke um, Latin. I love it when you speak yeah, Latin to me. Yeah, hardly. I can parrot it. I certainly don't speak it. <laughs> Um, so, and I got a kick earlier out of your comment, uh, a tour bus of average American voters called the imbecile America printed on the side. That was hysterical. I can see it going down I-95 right now, right, right to the, uh, right, right to the pole. Um, uh, while I was on hold, I saw something interesting on Fox news. Uh, a quick study said, uh, Hillary's agenda is $2.2 trillion short, which I found interesting, meaning she's blowing oh, smoke yeah. and half the country's buying it, you know? There's no short. Um, There's no short. You just print money and you pay for you and I pay for it. That's all. Yeah. I mean, it's literally laughable. Hence imbecile America touring to a city near you. Indeed. Um, so, uh, and briefly, before I get into a quick comment, and I want your take on my Trump opinion, um, Olympics, yes, I, obviously that's on your mind today. And I, eh, I, I'm not into the Summer Olympics. I'm a Winter Olympics guy. Yeah, hey, the hockey too. is awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. The Summer all, Olympics. All to us. We grew up around the electronic campfire uh, in the 1960s. My uh, kid sister and I, my parents, who were among the first. Uh, uh, real skiers that 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 in sort of in our group. I know it sounds silly now, but back in the early '60s, you know, not everybody skied, and my parents did because that's how they met, and that's how and they had been, you know, skiers from way way back post World War II and all that. And um, so for us, you know, this was the glorification of a secret society, you know, and so wow, they're going to put like skiing on television you know and anything connected with anything ice cold skates skis anything was like magic so yeah i still though love the olympics as i suspect you do enough that i get excited about the olympics really no matter what the summer winter or the event it's still or has been anyway very special but i fear uh scotty that this one has become tainted and 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 that that breaks my heart 
Yeah. Uh, brief, briefly commenting on what you just said, skiing. I, I played hockey my whole life, right through high school. I've never been skiing. Everyone tells me I have to try. I believe it or not. Growing up in New England, I've never <laughs> skied, which is pathetic, well, I, I know. I wish I had I started. I kind of wish I had started playing hockey earlier rather than skiing, maybe. So I'm not sure, but I, I uh, envy you swap. head start there. We have to swap hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, actually, I'm going to ask you to elaborate a little bit because I missed a little bit of what you were saying. I was on hold and I was doing a couple other things. What do you mean tainted, if you could just briefly summarize with the Olympics? Do you mean politically or well, geographically well, there, with there, Zika virus? Yes, there or? are the large, there are the upper and lowercase p political, like the actual politics. You know, they're kind of revolutionary, communistic, out of control, uh, anti-American, uh, in, sort of in general, there's that that sort of general taint to it, and a lot of countries are. But this time, I think it's going to bleed through a little bit. But what I really mean is the water. You know, you've got poisonous water that you know Turd Bay is the home to these uh, 1,400 Olympians who could get hepatitis or any rash of other really serious, awful, ugly diseases just wow. from going in the water into which they must go in on and under in order to compete. You've also got a paired back Olympics because they couldn't raise the money and they're broke. The first indication may or of that may or may not be tonight uh, with the opening ceremonies because everyone expects, you know, for the, for the real, on the scale of people who watch the Olympics for the reasons that a lot of us do, which is for the Olympiad, you know, many more people watch it, obviously, for the opening ceremonies. It always ceremonies, opening ceremonies always have the highest ratings. You know, they're not they're not watching comparatively. They're not watching hockey or ski jumping or the four by four, you know, uh, relay. They're watching the A opening bobsled. ceremony because most fun. people are bobsled. sitting out there, you know, eating ribs and candy corn you know, on their enormous buttocks, you know, watching something that, they, you know, they have no, not, nothing that they can relate to, meaning perspiration, you know, connected with sport, <laughs> connected with activity. But the, the first sign of whether they've cut back or screwed up or are carrying a message, which almost certainly, it seems to me, would be n- not our value situated, would be tonight's opening ceremony. So I'm very, I'm very interested to, to hear and and see all of that. I just am guessing that an an Olympiad that in this year, this time in the world, originating from uh, Rio, is going to contain some kind of message other than the merit of sport. And the other thing I mean, and maybe you should throw out everything else I've said, Scott, and there's this. Michael Phelps, who is, as you know, the most decorated Olympian in the history of the Olympics, said, for the record, three days ago, I don't believe I've ever competed in a race since I was a child that has been level playing field. And he went on to say, everybody's doping, blood doping, you know, cheating. And my view is, let them all do it or let nobody do it. But it really, really bothers me that it would be disequal in any way. And so Michael Phelps says, I've never competed in anything, any event, any time, in or out of the Olympics, where where there was equality. And we know, I know people don't follow this, but I know 
from following it on BBC and in uh, media. The Russians were proven via uh, like a like a, a James Bondian script almost. They cut a hole in the wall through which at night they passed urine samples and stuff to cheat so that the entire Olympic Soviet team was blood doping. And they got caught and they had people come forward and testify. And the International Olympic Committee said, you're all out of the Olympics. And then politics kicked in. And, Scotty, don't worry. I, I'm going to have you back if you, if you can hold. Uh, the, the, the entire world knows, for instance, that among hundreds of others, the Soviets, the Russians, have cheated grossly in blood doping. Now, again, let them all do it or let none of them do it. But the Soviets who cheated were caught. They were proven guilty. They admitted to being guilty. And now at the last minute, virtually all of them have been admitted back into the games. And that makes me sick to my stomach because I know that my mother and father would not have gathered us around that electric campfire, still novel at the time, called the television set. And we would not have been, you know, if the integrity of the games, for any reason, on any level, was called into question. I know that would have been passed along to us, and it would have busted a lot of the of the luster off the Olympics. So I hate that that's happened. Scott, please Jay hold. Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, partners. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. About three and a half hours, four hours away from the opening of the Rio Olympics, and I was grown, taught, uh, shared some of the most, some of the warmest family experiences, other than being out there and actually going on vacation to ski which in the 1960s was pretty darned rare. Uh, other than that, but you know, just growing up with a reverence for the Olympics, anything that calls into question its integrity really truly troubles me because have we ruined that too? Look at what we give up one after the other. You know, Congress, the American presidency, now the Olympics... I don't know. No, you know, I'm, I'm kidding, but I ain't. And you, you know it. So, okay. Uh, tonight, opening ceremonies. And, or ceremony. And unthinkable in times past would be any discernible polemic message. Any discernible political message, anything that could be in the remotest way, you know, translated as being for and against certain politics or certain nations or anything. I have two things before we return to Scott. <clears throat> two quick things, and I ask Scott to comment on these if he wishes, and, and you if you wish. These are things I've thought a great deal about, and... Uh, one of them is, if you look at the opening ceremony, 
I realize this comment is not without risk. You look at the opening ceremonies of 1960. 19, if, those, if that was an Olympic year, I think it was. You know, 64, 68. Look at the teams of Olympians as they entered the stadium on opening night. Do you know that if they didn't have a sign telling you from which nation they hailed, you could probably tell? You know why? Because the team from Egypt looked like the team from Egypt. The team from Sweden looked like the team from Sweden. Now, I I know in a multicultural world, this is flirting with, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is what you think I mean by it. Is I enjoyed the days when each of the teams didn't need a sign because I loved the diversity from nation to nation. Tonight, when the German team enters the stadium, it will look like the team from Ethiopia combined with the team from Afghanistan. Now, I don't, am I suggesting to you that you ought to find that troubling? No, but I find it a little un, unsettling. You know, I mean, I know there will always be exceptions, and there always have been exceptions, but I really don't, I'm really not okay. I'm really not comfortable sitting around with my family when I was six. Or now, when I'm 36, (laughs) with my family watching this, and the team from Germany comes in, and as I say, it it, it looks to all the world that this is the team from either Ethiopia or Afghanistan. I guess that's what we get in a new, inclusive, diverse, multicultural world. But the whole idea of the Olympics being about, you know, Olympians performing against each other as friendly competitors, but from very different nations, you know, from very different places and experiences and all of that. Yeah, that kind of, you know, yeah, that that kind of bugs me. There are others, but let me get back to Scott. Scott, thank you. Welcome back. Um, Yeah, I think you raised a great point. Um, and you don't have to, you know, don't, you don't have to go down with me. So, you know, you, you no, can ignore I, that. I enjoy go it. Go on to whatever you're thinking. I'm, I'm going to talk Olympics real quick. And if um granted the time, I will go quickly. To Absolutely. Politics. Go okay. ahead. Yes. It's actually very ironic that people would say your statement you just said, well, what about diversity? Well, you know what? The world is diverse. We've got how many? 380 countries on the planet. I have no idea, but somewhere in that range. Me neither. It's, o- yep. it's okay that there's different countries like yeah the team from i shouldn't see iceland come out and they look like it could be uh, asian people assume i'm going to say yeah exactly exactly if you if you erase the words on the signs and the chinese people's republic of china comes out and (laughs) instead you say look there's there's china there's china or japan 
you know, or Korea. But, oh, no, wait, that's Iceland. Right? That's Norway. You know, I mean, you know. It's, if it's, you're, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. If you've got a date on Venus, something's wrong. If your girlfriend has a penis, something's wrong. Right. Okay. Yeah. Remember, Jay, it's very dangerous to introduce common sense to people. It's very, very dangerous. <laughs> Don't yeah. I know? Yes. Okay. So that's a great point you made, though. Like I said, I'll reiterate. It, it, it is diverse. Every Having 390 countries is pretty – we're a diverse planet as is or as was, I ought to say. Okay. So – Hillary just got a big bounce out of the DNC. Yes, and as she should, that's what happens when you have a convention. Um, but like anything that bounces, it goes up and then it comes back down. So I, I'm not too concerned that Trump the is... The miracle is that and, anything like Hillary could go up to begin with. Yeah, you know the right. thrust? You have any idea the mathematical engineering thrust required to get Hillary off the ground? Anyway, go yes, ahead. and you certainly wouldn't want her coming down on you either. That would be, uh, you know, <laughs> brace yourself. Um, I remember talking to you, I don't know, a month ago, and I said, who's this campaign manager? Donald Duck was my quote, I believe I said to you. And, he, and he's doing it again. But what Trump has working for him is time. We're 90 days out. There's time to get things right. I think he needs to stop shooting himself in the foot or a little higher, as you say. Um, right. He needs to focus on her scandals and her crimes. Stay on point. And I think he needs to focus. The, I mean, let's admit 90 percent of people know who they're voting for already. They're fighting over those independent, which I don't understand how you don't know who you're voting for. They're so ideologically different. How the heck could you? You know, when someone tells me I have to wait and see the debate, I'm like, what do you think they're going right. to say at the debate? I like, know. I mean, come I on. Know. You're I a know. conservative or a liberal. I mean, what the heck? I don't understand that. But I, I know I you either should... believe certain things or you don't. And people plug into that or they don't. Yeah, I don't. I literally don't understand undecided. When I run into one, I'm like, "Well, what do you mean you don't know?" Like, to it's me, hard that's to be views of ignorance is what it tells me. They yeah, don't know what's I, going I, on. I agree. I I agree. But there, it, there it is. You know, that's what we have. To, that's what we have to live with. And I and I say, as I've tweeted today and said for a long time, there's either a silent majority for Trump or there ain't. And I don't think we're going to see any conventional, Scott, I don't think we're going to see conventional indices in favor of Trump, like big poll leads. You know, uh, there's either a silent majority because I'm for Trump, but I won't put his bumper sticker on my car. I mean, but you know, my daughter asked me, oh, this is great. I've got a, I gave her a, a Rush sent me a never Hillary bumper sticker and my my girl said to me, should I put it on my computer? You know, the one she brings to school, laptop. And I said, please don't. I mean, you know. Mm. You there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I no, mean, I, we pay too high a price. Uh, I don't mean to punk out, but we pay too high a price. People will key your car. You know, they'll knock your computer to the, to the ground or you. And I just... You think there are so many people for Trump that are not willing to say so at work or even in their own homes. Hey, well, that gives me and you and others who do not want Hillary in the White House hope. You know, I, I think he Some, is going to yeah. get out the vote, you know. Ironically, uh, so Obama's and I'll leave it alone. I'll shut up then. Obama's uh, slogan, hope and change. Is actually. 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Hope and Change, is actually the perfect one for Trump, only thusly put, uh, change equals hope. Because right. that, yeah. that is right now the dynamic, it seems to me, the singular dynamic in American politics, or not, is a desire for change. And if you want to flush the system, if you want change, then your only hope of change is Trump. I know it's a gamble, et cetera, et cetera. But if change is your man, you know, Hillary is a man, but she's not your man if, if change is what you, uh, what you want. All right, Scott, again, I have to take a break. When we come back, you will be here, I trust, and I won't blab. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. As our pre-Olympic opening show goes and our Friday week closes, I welcome back Scott from Boston with apologies that he's the ratio of his weight to his words is uh, grossly out of proportion to his talent. So let me shut up, Scott. Yes. Well, thank you for having me back. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, that's funny intro. I'm all right. Let me get my head together here. Uh, a quick comment on break I saw on Fox News. This just makes me laugh. Will it ever end? The stupidity and idi- idi- idiocracy? What is it for being an idiot? I don't know. Of idiocy. Liberals. Idiocy. Thank you, sir. Um, this is and a quote no. I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Obama is quoted. This was just the cross on Fox News. He's saying confidently, the decline of ISIS is causing it to shift to more high-profile attacks. So he's saying the reason the attacks are getting bigger is because he's defeating it. I mean, this is, I mean, liberal, I mean, Jay, they're sick. I mean, he's got to be joking. No, I'm waiting for a punchline. It's, it's unbelievable. I, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, it, 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 it will always be, well, no, you know what? I don't know that it will always be. One hopes it will be a mystery to Americans, real Americans, patriotic Americans, why... Obama has been so pro-Muslim, uh, even Islamist, and gotten away with it. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to be learned about him in the next 20 years, I think. Um, a lot to be uncovered. And let me ask you this one, Jeff. And Washington's gay community is eagerly poised to find out. <laughs> yes, most likely. <laughs> um, let me ask you this question here. I want to ask you this for a while now. I understand the entitlement liberals. Um, like you said, if your life depends on getting a check every Thursday afternoon, then you're, uh, you're hitting D every uh, ballot. I understand that mentality, although I don't agree with it, and it's unconstitutional, unpatriotic, and anti-American. I understand it. What confuses me, are the, now this is going to sound like an oxymoron, but the intelligent liberals, they confuse me. And I know he's a good friend of yours. And do not, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but someone like Doug Schoen or Alan Dershowitz, I know you're close friends with both of them. They're both beyond this planet intelligent, but yet they still are blazing, no pun intended, and we're on the blaze, blazing liberals. 
That I they don't are. understand. Yeah. Yes. They're not waiting for a check on Thursday. So what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? I mean, they, they kind of make me want to scratch my head and say, wait a minute, is there another point of view? If someone that's well, that left wing... Th- th- there are not a lot of places or people who are willing to speak to this, but uh, I am. And it is not totally explained by, but anyone who wants to be candid about this cannot ignore that there is a strain of American culture, uh, political culture, that is infused and informed very, very greatly, profoundly, almost uniquely, by Jewish liberalism, white Jewish liberalism. Now, some people say that that is, you know, very uh, explainable, and I think it kind of is, in a way, you know. Uh, uh, white Jews have always been the, the white people who, are, who were murdered in the civil rights movement, who were arrested in the civil rights movement, who were willing to go down south, you know, almost always came from uh, affluent Jewish families in Wellesley, you know, or Lincoln or someplace, you know, and, and, and God bless them. But it's part of their, it's part of the American Jewish culture to be for the underdog. And I don't mean that as a, you know, I'm quite, obviously, I'm not going to waste time trying to excuse it. Every, everybody knows uh, that it, it's, it, I, I don't mean anything by that other than really trying to take a, you know, a real honest look at an American sociological phenomenon. And it is. American Jewish liberalism is an American sociological, political sociological phenomenon. You're not going to find a lot of American Jews who are Republicans, you know, or conservatives. It's just the way it is. So what does it stem from? What's the parent of that? Uh, where is it something to do with the parent of it is, is, of is very, very smart and generally affluent parents and an upbringing which carries with it the advantage of being able to step outside and look academically, intellectually at things and reach a largely humanistic uh, conclusion. I wish we had more time. I'm not sure. I'm not alone. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.